This is Ron Friends, comics illustrator, and this is a bumper for the amazing Spider Talk. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle all the questions and the webs left out to tangle. I'll be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon, they'll bend your ears with reckless self abandon. Hello and welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdan, and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com, and I'm still angry about Captain America. Hell Hydra, Dan. <laughs> no, I'm not actually uh, angry, but <laughs> but there was another voice. Who did that other voice come from that was, uh, I guess, uh, proclaiming the, the deeds of Hydra? Oh, yes. Well, I'm Mark Chinacchio. I'm the founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and editor at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And after 34 years of being alive, I just recently realized that I've been a sleeper Hydra agent this whole time. I, I think it's a brilliant conceit, Mark. Okay. Well, you know, let's see what if you feel that way if I, like, throw you off the top of a building, okay? I might change my <laughs> mind. I might change my mind. Well, everybody, that has nothing to do with Spider-Man, but I will say thank you for joining us for a special Essentials episode of The Amazing Spider-Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe, in this case, an older part of the Spider-Man universe, in a bit of a bigger picture. Yes, Dan, and thanks for your qualifications on the older part of the universe. Uh, for this episode, we'll be discussing our potential essential Spider-Man comic of the, the bi-week. Or, well, no, that would be twice a week. Well, you know, it's, a, it's an essential episode, people. That's all I'm saying. And we're going to be discussing my pick which is Amazing Spider-Man issues number 17 through 19. Is this volume two, do you think, or volume three? No, 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 no. We're talking about volume one, the Dicko Lee uh, era, also known as the original end of Spider-Man. And then we'll be checking in with our latest Flash Thompson Flash review tryout. And Dan, I think this next one's going to be a hoot. Oh, no. <laughs> well, I'm really excited to talk about these issues because I, I read them just yesterday for the, like the millionth time and and uh, rediscovered just how much I love them. So let's dive right into our talk about the original, the original recipe, <laughs> the original end of Spider-Man. I was raised up believing I was somehow unique. Like a snowflake, distinct among snowflakes, unique in each way you'd conceive. And now after some thinking, I'd say I'd rather be a functioning cog in some great machinery, serving something beyond me. This is your pick, and uh, I got to ask you, you know, this amazing Spider-Man 17 to 19, why do you consider these up for consideration to be essential? You mean what drugs was I taking that made me make this my pick or something? Or uh... 
No, because I love this pick, but it's not okay, one. That, cool. It's not one that I would have thought of off the bat. Uh, you know, and, and uh, I'm glad you suggested it because you know I remembered how much I love these issues. So, to, but tell <laughs> us why. Tell us. Tell us why. I mean, you don't know why I love them, but I'm sure they're going to be very similar to your feelings. Okay, sure. Well, well, um, as the as the title of the arc indicates, the original and this Spider Man. I mean, this 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 storyline kind of introduced uh, uh, a recurring theme or trope, if you will, in Spider-Man comics, which was, you know, Spider-Man being so fed up with not being able to balance the superhero life and his normal personal life that he out and out quits being the hero. And, and you know, Spider-Man No More, ASM 50, which is an earlier essential pick of mine, is unquestionably the more famous of the I Quit stories. But this was the original one. And, you know, we're, we're talking essentials here and, you know, Desert Island Reads or whatever you want to call it. Uh, if you want to get a sense of what would drive Spider-Man to quit, you might as well start with the first one, right? Um, then kind of like going a little further into it, um, we, we, we get a, a sequence in, in the middle chapter of this series. I call it Aunt May's gumption speech. You know, uh, Parker's have gumption, um, which was actually um, kind of adapted loosely for the Sam Raimi Spider-Man 2 movie. Uh, which was probably one of my favorite parts of that movie. And it was also one of my favorite parts of this book um, because I really feel it's like a definitive moment uh, in the Silver Age for uh, Peter and Aunt May and their relationship and kind of Aunt May's portrayal and, and how she, uh, how, you know, her, her spirit has kind of driven Peter to, to not, it's not just, it's not always just about uncle Ben and his uncle Ben moment, but also the people who are still alive that he's still fighting for. Um, so I think that's a very key moment in the character's development. And then just from like a huge world building standpoint, this book is just jam packed with like all these very either key moments involving the supporting cast or just great moments involving the supporting cast that really gives you a sense of this vibrant, weird world that Lee and Ditko had created. I mean, you have Flash Thompson in the Spider-Man fan club. You got Betty Brant and Liz Allen fighting with each other. Uh, we got more of the Green Goblin mystery, uh, the Human Torch feud. Uh, Ned Leeds is introduced. Um, we got some Enforcers and Sandman, which were kind of big villains in the in the early days for Spidey, kind of like the street-level elements. Uh, J. Jonah Jameson, as always, plays a huge role in this story. So, like, you know, again, like, if you're looking for essential stories and things that show like all the different dynamics that Peter has uh, with his supporting cast, you, you really could, you know, this is, this is the, as good as it gets in these silver age books in terms of all these different relationships he has. So um, that's why I picked it. Um, I know you love it. I mean, it's a great story to boot, but uh, you know, why don't, why don't you give me some of your, thoughts about this story and you know where you think it belongs in in the pantheon so to speak yeah it's funny that this story gets labeled at least it's funny to me that the story gets labeled under the title the original end of spider-man because really you know there's a lot that builds up to that moment but it only really lasts for like a page and a half he like gives up and then a page and a half later is like no i gotta put this costume back on again in a kind of awkward Ditko panel that 
really screams of, of the need for John Romita Sr. to knock it out of the park. Yeah. Or, or even Todd McFarlane to, to knock out that like return to the red suit kind of thing. This is this is the same idea, but a little more awkward. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I've I've seen people joke that it looks like Spidey had like a couple extra cheeseburgers before putting his suit on in that one panel there. Like it's <laughs> it's it's a definitely weirdly proportioned Spider-Man, and he's not kind of the the typical svelte, slender, spidery Spider-Man as we're used to seeing. <laughs> what were they serving at that fan club party? You know, uh, you know, <laughs> sticks of well, butter on a plate. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a Flash Thompson party, so you know there was probably something was spiked. <laughs> <laughs> That's an allusion to a future comic. Did someone spike the punch? But uh, oh, that should be part of our essentials list is, is the drunk P- uh, Peter comic. But, um, you know, because it, it, it gets this label of the original end of Spider-Man. And, and perhaps this is why Stan felt the need to revisit this is it was kind of a, the small moment. And to me, the real standout here is like everything but that. You know, like the the fan club takes such a big precedent here. Just, just all the little elements that build up Peter's world, you know, Human Torch and their relationship, it's all born in th- these three issues, especially the first two issues. And and rereading this, you know, uh, man, like I, I, it's like they had a grab bag of ideas and just like shook them around and were like, this is it. And they all are going to go into these several issues. It's like as if they – thought the book was going to be canceled in three issues. And they're like, just put every idea into this. Yet it, yet it works very seamlessly. I don't feel like we're, we're getting clunked down with exposition. I mean, I feel like these are all fun little sidebars and they kind of keep the story moving. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, these, the, these books are slightly longer than the books we get today, 23 pages versus the 20 pages we get today i'm removing the recap page because that doesn't count as far as I'm <laughs> uh and, but like reading these it took me like at least half an hour to read each one because they're so jam-packed with story and ideas and you know stan lee he can't he can't let a single panel go by without a paragraph of dialogue uh so th- there's just so much to get out of this here yeah absolutely um I, I guess, you know, in terms of and again, this kind of plays into the the one of the common themes and tropes that makes this story an essential for me. But like, you know, one of the things that I always find interesting is, you know, the the the, the arc starts off with Spider-Man kind of humming on all cylinders or, or at least as 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 many cylinders as he can operate on. I mean, like he's still screwing up. He's getting onto the movie set uh that he thinks is a crime and you know like getting called out for being a bonehead and all that i mean you know it's like that's still like even when he even when things are going right he's he's you know still perceived as a loser but he seems pretty happy with things you know he's he's got his 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 thing with betty brant liz allen is like going to bat for him in front of Flash Thompson at school, you know, Spider-Man is going to get a fan club, uh, you know, and, and he's going to show up and, and, you know, make everyone happy. And, you know, it's, it's, it's such a perfect setup to have the rug pulled out from him the way it is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, talking about this now, I was thinking about Spider-Man homecoming and kind of thinking this would be a great 
like place to pull from, and I imagine they will because there's few times where the supporting cast has ever been so prominent, especially as teenage f- friends, as in these several issues, and uh, and that was really exciting to me to 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 reread this. But um, yeah, there there is something about him kind of operating, and then. You know, he just gets completely demolished, you know, through the series. And it's not even by, like, a really sophisticated, concentrated threat. It's, like, a ton of little things that pick away at Peter's, like, I guess, uh, morale throughout throughout these issues. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was, I was about to joke if, if, you know, Homecoming minds from this, you know, hopefully... It would be, yeah, I, I agree. Hopefully it's more of these stories because, you know, if it's the Robbie... Thompson Spidey version, you know, Gwen will be there and she'll be dating Flash and Mary Jane will show up and Harry Osborne will show up. And <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like this high school supporting cast. I like that. It's like a bunch of, you know, it's, this is so Dicko. It's like these, they're all these kind of flawed and arrogant people like like no one's that likable in this story is it like the, no. in terms of the, <laughs> even peter is not likable <laughs> he might be the least likable of the bunch he's so self-absorbed you know like there are points in this where he leaves his fight with the goblin allowing the goblin to kind of like fight the human torch and torment his friends just so he can make an appearance as peter parker so that they don't think that peter parker is spider-man it's like Hello, like people are still in danger, Peter. Like, get back out there and keep fighting. He's so fixated on on I guess his own, you know, well well to do, and and I guess Aunt May as well, because you know, a typical uh, you know Dicko Stan Lee story. Aunt May is on the verge of death again, and right, needs some kind right. of antidote. And and boy, by the time we get to her speech at the end of the of issue 18 she really looks like she needs an antidote she might be no more hideous in this book than she's ever been in any book uh right on the verge of death hopefully they don't make marissa tomei look like that in homecoming (laughs) (laughs) i think it would take a real artist to get her to look like that give give that woman another academy award if she could pull that off right (laughs) charlize theron in monster like (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but but no, I mean, yeah, it, it, the 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 sick ant angle. Although I I, I do kind of like that Peter with Peter's self absorption that he just like out and out like yes, there's there's the gotta disguise the fact that I'm not that you know so they don't think I'm Spider Man. But then like when he actually senses that there's danger, you know, that his aunt is is in jeopardy, he just out and out bails. Like he doesn't even give a crap what it might look like, and and like that's like such an odd thing for a hero in, in, in his comic to do. I mean, like the, the, again, these are the things that made Spider-Man such a unique superhero comic, because when does the hero bail on the fight? Like, you know, like, like so, so blatantly. <laughs> and then the entire city just mocks him for it. I mean, there's a, like a good portion of these books where it's just the public's reaction to like to thinking Spider-Man is just such a loser and 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 as a result of that, we've got this great sequence where Jonah is just like through the moon happy that he's been proven right. And probably my favorite Jonah thing of all time is, 
you know, oh, we'll send Peter, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, his aunt a get well card, but make sure you don't seal it because we can save money by not sealing it. <laughs> it's like so, like, what an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> but it's about we're as nice as we, if we're ever going to get Jonah to be. Yeah, I mean, like I said, like, there are very few likable characters in these Lee Dicko issues. I mean, you know, Flash is Flash. I mean, Liz, Liz is... Liz is fun, is is okay. Like she's sticking up for Peter, but like there's some ulterior motives there. And then what about the Liz and Betty cat fighting in this in these books, man? I mean, this that that is some funny stuff. <laughs> I mean, Betty is like one of the worst people ever. I mean, I guess she's like a teenager and doing teenage things, which is like I can't believe Peter is going out with someone like are are seeing Liz while we're dating. And then an issue later, it's like, oh, I'm just dating Ned, Ned Leeds, Peter. You know, like she just turns it right around. She's so. Right. Like, but then, but then when he doesn't react, she's like, I thought he'd be jealous. Oh, <laughs> what a, she's the worst. But the best exchange of all is Liz and Betty, where they like bump into each other. And Liz says to Betty, mm, putting on some weight, aren't you, Miss Brandt? <laughs> And then Betty, like, monologues to herself, oh, when she calls me Miss Brandt, I feel a hundred years old. (laughs) (laughs) I could read that all day. Which, you know, goes to show, you know, once again, we have two, by Ditko standards, beautiful women fighting over Peter. So this Parker Luck thing, at least when it comes to the ladies, always a bit overstated, right? (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, Peter, he just, he can't, he can't get it straight. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then, okay. I mean, you know, we should probably touch a little bit about the green goblins. I mean, there's so, there's so many things to touch upon, but like with the green goblin, like obviously the mystery with the green goblin is, is further kind of elaborated in this story. Um, we get more uh, shots of the Green Goblin beating up dummies of Spider-Man because, you know, that's what he does best. I'm glad that <laughs> that has, like, uh, maintained itself into modern continuity. I think back on the the Thunderbolts issues where he's destroying, like, dozens of Spider-Man dummies. Like, oh, yeah, that's this is where that came from. Yeah, pretty much. Um, no, I mean, these are, this, this is... It's it's interesting to me because like you go back and reread these issues and you know I, I obviously talked about these issues a bit when I did the mysterious ways um, feature on the mystery of the Green Goblin, but like you know yeah it, it it would it would take some pretty heinous actions before the Green Goblin could be considered the true nemesis for Spider Man, but like it's very clear that Stan and Steve had plans for the character because i mean like they are really playing up this mystery and like there there was no other characters at this time that they were being so demonstrative about and being like hey isn't this character something special because look we we don't know who he is and it could be any of these people and like anytime spidey's spidey sense goes off over some guy in a fedora it could be the green goblin and it's just like that that sense of like ever-present danger with this one character is 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 pretty intense I love reading these issues regarding the Green Goblin because they still haven't figured out his arsenal yet. So my my favorite of all is the the frog he throws at Spider-Man <laughs> so that he can sever his webbing. Like, that's a pretty direct <laughs> – it's like I made this frog just so I could cut your webbing. Like, 
In what world is a frog the thing you choose? Like, didn't he have, like, a batarang or something like that he could have thrown? But, like, a frog? Come on. No, they didn't want to get sued by DC for a batarang, right? I mean... <laughs> they borrowed pretty liberally from DC and other, uh, in other places, so... Hey, any similarities that Thanos has to Darkseid are completely coincidental. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Let's talk about yeah. this fan club, because this is the first appearance of this thing, and, and I just love the dichotomy of... Flash being Spidey's biggest fan while hating Peter Parker at the same time. Right. And it, and it, and it also kind of makes sense that the, the school bully would like idolize the, the, the one hero that nobody really likes. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it, you know, you peel, you peel the, the, the layers back from the onion and you get, you get, even more really interesting layers here. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it just keep peeling. <laughs> yeah, and, and the best is that he, like, refuses to allow Peter to come to the Spider-Man fan club, which I guess in Peter's book, he should have just taken that as an opportunity to not be at the same place at the same time, you know, as Spider-Man. Uh, but what are you going to do? And I just love how, like, Liz Allen's like, oh, I must find a way to get him there. And <laughs> <laughs> no, really, Liz. You can you can lay off of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and um, and of course, like the torch has to show up because you know we got the obligatory rivalry there, which is again, I I, I love this rivalry because like again, this is one of those things that from a traditional comic book standpoint wasn't done in this, in this era, you know, like you have two teenage heroes, they're going to be friends. They're going to be allies. They're going to be the teen Titans. They're going to, you know, or, or whatever. And it's going to be Robin and his buddy or whatever. I don't know. Just throwing crap out there. Uh, but, but then, but then by the end of this issue, we realized that there is a legit friendship there. Well, there, or, or mutual respect, yeah. but, but the way they get there is still by like, kind of showing how similar they are similar they are yet not i mean and and i kind of like that i had i was having a conversation with someone once and they they said that you know human torch is like the flash thompson of superheroes you know and and it's like that's before flash became a superhero himself uh <laughs> i always forget about that yeah <laughs> i try but, to forget about that perhaps but that's, I mean, and, and, you know, in the same way that Peter and Flash would eventually be, you know, be, you know, grow to respect each other and then become friends. I think, I, I you know, like, I, I think it's a natural progression with Spidey and the Torch, too, because they're not, they're not, they're not dissimilar, you know, but, but because they're just so young and brash and egotistical and pr- trying to prove they're the best that, of course, they're going to clash. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the, one of the gems for me, Regis, uh, upon rereading this, is the reminder that this is the first issue that really addresses why Spider-Man can't sell his webbing. Uh, yeah. Which is a, fu- a funny sequence where he goes to these scientists, I guess, and tries to sell his web formula so that he can buy an antidote for Aunt May. And uh, they're all about it, which, I mean, who wouldn't be? It's a, you know a pretty spectacular invention until it like minutes later begins to wear off and they realize there's no practical use for this other than webs, you know, slinging because that just disappears in a few minutes. Like who needs 
an adhesive for five minutes or, you know, it would eventually become an hour. But in this book, it, it seems to be a lot faster than that. Um, and I think that it's a really funny sequence that's kind of out of nowhere in this book, like a lot of the elements of this book. Like, right. it just seems to be on the minds of Stan Lee and Steve Dicko. And so, great, it's going to find its way into the book. Right. Although I, I, I do like kind of even leading up to that sequence. The webbing sequence is fantastic, but I, I, I love how – so, you know, he he kind of pseudo quits being Spider-Man in terms of being a superhero after the run-in with the Green Goblin and his aunt gets sick and he's got to take care of his aunt. And like he realizes, well, I'm not going to be able to take photos of Spider-Man fighting heroes anymore – fighting villains anymore because I'm not Spider-Man as a hero, but how do I still get rich? So he rich off of Spider-Man. So he kind of comes full circle back to where he was in amazing fantasy 15. Um, except this time around, like, you know, he's, 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 he's striking out again. And, and because it's like Spider-Man's old news, he's not a hero anymore. We're not interested. So it's like, it's like that weird around, like they, they always, Lee and Dicko always found a way to, to, take Peter back to that place of power and responsibility. It's like, well, no, like you have these powers, you know how you have to use them. If you're not going to use them in the responsible way, you're not going to get anything out. You, you, you can't, you can't take a shortcut, you know, to help your aunt out. And, and, and I, I like that they reinforce that here, both, both, you know, when he's like trying to sell trading cards of himself and autographs and things like that. And then eventually when it comes to the webbing, it's like the webbing is like his last, his last thing and it's like the one thing where on the surface you would think oh wow this is really cool but then it's like oh wait no even that like there's like you said there's no practical use for it except for him as being a hero <laughs> yeah absolutely for me the the kind of like uh, issue that stands out the least is the final one issue 19 where it's kind of just like a big fight issue with the Sandman and the Enforcers but it's still a lot of fun and, and I always love Steve Ditko's really bizarre use of the Sandman because he becomes like – he's like water dripping down the page. It's always very strange looking I, I find. Yeah. Oh, I, I, absolutely. And like, you know, not that it was memorable in – for for many other reasons. But I always go back to – that Marvel Knights story that came out a few years ago, like the 99 villains one or whatever it was called, which we, we, we pretty much panned, but there was like that one sequence where Peter was fighting Sandman and he talks about how like he always felt very disgusted fighting Sandman because like the way he kind of crawled and circled around you. It's like, he was almost like, you know, you didn't know where he would show up on your body and where, and what part of his body would show up on you kind of a thing. And I feel like that in its own weird way pays homage to like the dick goes Sandman, because like you said, it's just, it's, it's water dripping off a page and it's kind of icky and creepy and really spine crawling. Right. Yeah, I mean, in this issue, we've got Spider-Man swinging through him because he's like, I can get through you before you harden yourself. And just that sentence is just, <laughs> like, not fun to think about. No, um, no. And, and the end of the issue, how he's captured is, like, it almost seems like they like didn't know how to end it. So they're like, oh, yeah, he got tired so the police could arrest him. And, and I just try to imagine these police, they're like, putting handcuffs on him, and it's like, where did they find the handcuffs to fit this weirdo? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, 
And and I always like that the enforcers like really did play a prevalent role in the early Spider-Man stories. I mean, they're just three guys, right? I mean, is there, there's really nothing special about them, but they like there's a cult of enforcer fanhood. I think. I, I love that Montana's whip is, is. They always are sure to spell out that it's asbestos covered. <laughs> wrap up the human torch, you know, and it's like, wouldn't it still burn? I mean, it's, it's a rope. Uh, I don't think any amount of asbestos is preventing that, but they're very, and it's just a weird kind of like thing to think about now that asbestos is given the context that it has in, in modern day. Like, it's like, I got you with my cancer rope. Take it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, not not to jump around a little bit, but you know, I mentioned this in the intro. I mean, what what did you, what was your takeaway from the Aunt May, the Aunt May speech in issue eighteen? I mean, like, I find it to be a really pivotal moment for the series. I mean, am I overstating it in your opinion, or or do you think this is a big moment? Well, I think it's an important development for the character of Aunt May. You know, like up until this point, she's you know been kind of the doting, almost mother figure, making him. Wheat cakes, and I guess in these issues she makes him pancakes, so she's straying from formula. But uh, I think in this issue she manages to become more than just the kind of heart attack woman. You know, I mean, she is that, but she also, you know, becomes kind of a reinforcing, uh, you know, character in his life. Anything else you'd like to say about this storyline and uh, its magic it, 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 it casts on you? I mean, it's just crazy. It's just nonstop ideas and, and craziness. And, you know, it stands apart, bec- from, especially from the early issues, because it's not really villain dominant. There's not no. really like a big bad of the issue. It's just really Peter Parker and his kind of dumb antics and, and, and teenagerness. I think, like you said, I think more so than other stories from this era. I mean, like, because, you know, when you think of the other really famous stories from the Lee Dicko years, I mean, like, um, I mean, Sinister Six is very obviously villain focused. And then, like, uh, uh, if, if, you know, This Be My Destiny is is kind of the personal struggle, but you don't really get the, the supporting cast as much, you know, like, um but this one here, I mean, like it, it, it is a fully realized world at this point. Um, and you know, I think when when during eras where Spider Man is going right and we and we love it, I think it it kind of is a nod to these to this story because of how it kind of frenetically jumps around yet still ties everything together. And when it, when it strays from that formula is when I think the book suffers the most. And I have to say, uh, you know, the cover to issue 18 is one of my favorites, that kind of diptych cover with Spider-Man cowering under, I guess, like kind of a trash with, with right. Sandman in the background and those big word splashes. Uh, it's a favorite of mine. And also, like, as a collector, um, my copy of this issue is, like, really mint. Like, it is a great copy. And every time I've, like, kind of shown it to people they're like oh that looks like brand new and, and so i think of my early steve dicko stanley stuff i it's my like most i'm most proud of this copy that i own uh do, do you have any stories regarding these and collecting them um i will say that for for a number of years like 17 was actually like my oldest issue i got that um 
probably in my early 20s. Um, I, I, it was, I think through like an eBay auction or something, but, um, you know, it was kind of like my, my big get for the very longest time. And then eventually, obviously that was supplanted, but like, I just kind of remember that issue at the front of the box for the longest time. You know what I mean? Like, um, and actually, uh, issue 18, I, um, was, one of the last back issues I bought before I kind of went on a short hiatus with the, the birth of my child. Cause I just, I just remember, I, I think on chasing amazing, I wrote about the gumption speech being a kind of a favorite moment of mine. And, and, and that was like November, 2011. So, but you know, that, that hiatus was short lived. Obviously I was able to finish out my collection sans annuals, but, uh, <laughs> This is the point where I jump in and tell listeners that I managed to get a copy of End of the Earth one shot. Thank, thanks to listener and, and I guess friend of the show and, and no, news editor of our site, uh, Zeke Ward, who mailed it to me in the mail. So now I can hold that over you, Mark. You, I, can- you know, I, my issue is, is, is Zeke, through this, Zeke has clearly picked a side. Uh, in, in, in this ongoing war between you and I, and, <laughs> and let's just say this, Zeke, you, you don't want to start a land war in Asia. Okay. So, um, just, you know, the, the gauntlet's been thrown down and, uh, I don't forget. So, uh, I'm glad you got your issue, Dan, and I'm glad you have something else that you could forever torment me with. Um, you know, I'm glad that, Zeke is is comfortable enough in his friendship with you that he could pick that side and make his allegiances known, but uh, I don't forget. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm definitely going to hold this over you because now annuals, you're really hiding behind this annual wall because, you know, uh, what are you going to claim? All one-shots count now? Like, what other one-shots am I missing? I don't know. Do you have, like, the... the the hooky issue or something. I or? do. I do have the hooky issue, and okay. and I have the fun with reading issues. Do so you have parallel lives? I don't have parallel lives. Okay. Okay. Do you have parallel lives? I I, I have the reprint of it from a few oh, years ago. <laughs> that sounds like a no. So, Dan, I think our audiences are still buzzing about our last tryout for the vacant Flash Thompson Flash Reviews. You get it? Buzzing? Buzz. Unfortunately, I do. In fact, we had I, I, we had never had so much feedback to an episode <laughs> as we did uh, last episode with the appearance of Swarm. We got, I think, an equal amount of hate and an equal amount of love, although I couldn't tell how much the hate was playing into the hatred <laughs> and how much of it was just genuine dislike of Swarm's appearance on the show. Well, you know, I, 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 you kind of like declared the winner was found with Swarm, but 
you know, I, I don't think we should close the polls yet, Dan, because um, I, I think you're going to like this next guess. Um, the good news is for him, I didn't actually have to look very hard to find him. Uh, about a month ago, in fact, my uh, apartment building got a brand new tenant upstairs. And it's not Flash Thompson? It's not Flash Thompson. Well, Flash Thompson was like living in my back room, remember? He, was, he, was, he wasn't a legal tenant. Well, he might have uh, gone more legit and moved in upstairs, you know? That's, that's fair. That's fair. No, no, no. no. This, is, this was not Flash. Um, I actually never saw the guy. He must have like moved in at night or something like that. But 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 at some point after like a week or two, I started to hear at like odd times at night, like the strumming of a guitar and and like, oh, this awful singing. It, it was just so annoying. And I was really getting sick of it. And I went to go up to his apartment and knock on his door and tell him to shut the well, you know, it's a kid's show. So shut up. Shut up, Brock. Uh, but then he, then he answered the door and I recognized that this was a forgotten relic from, from Spider-Man's past, from the Denny O'Neill era. Like who read those comics? Right. And he was (laughs) living upstairs from me. So ladies and gentlemen, I hope you have your earplugs ready because let me turn the mic over to Joseph Lonesome Pincus. Yeah, buckaroos! This is your old pal, Joseph Pankus. Though you can call me lonesome, because the life of a musical cowboy is so lonesome you can die. I can't imagine why your life might be lonesome, uh, Mr. Pankus. Uh, I, I, I hear the last big show you did ended up in a big brawl. Yeah, well, you, you, you listen up, cowpoke. I, I, I don't want to talk about fights or brawls. I want to talk about the Flash Thompson Flash reviews. Wait, so, so, so why are you auditioning? You're, you're a musician. This doesn't necessarily, like, you know, like fall into your, your range of talents, you know, hosting a, a segment on a show. Well, you got a guy's got a hell of an audience on this here podcast, so I thought maybe these flash reviews could be an opportunity for me to get my latest record heard by the world. Well, the lonesome uh, Mr. Pincus, I, I appreciate what you want to do, but Mark gets pretty ticked off whenever our podcasts run long, so I don't think we're going to have time to listen to your album every week. It's, it's true, Dan. I do get pissed off. Yeah, no. Oh. Me. Okay, okay, I get it. Lonesome is just gonna have to continue to be lonesome for the time being. But but Mr. Dan and Mark, can I can I maybe sing just one song? I, I'm re- I'm gonna regret this, but yeah, go for it. All right, here we go. I hope I hope you all like it. Oh, give me a word with a couple of nerds who sit there and talk Spidey all day. Uncle Ben's sage advice is awfully nice Until he gets killed by a bird of prey Flash, Flash Thompson's reviews Where the guest host drinks way too much booze Where Mark's bank account makes a claim that annuals don't count and gives him tons of abuse. 
Tom Pincus, everybody. That was, that was better than I thought it would be. <laughs> well, he was going to sing it to Home on the Range, I think. Uh, that, was, that was what that song was, right, Dan? Yeah, uh, close enough. <laughs> well, Dan, maybe if Lonesome wins, um, I won't have to hear him singing above me so much. He can just come down here every couple of weeks and, and, and sing into the microphone. So, um, Lonesome Pickets, everybody. Flash Thompson's Flash Reviews. Well, for the time being, until we rename it. Uh, <laughs> so we all know the rules, everybody. 60 seconds of review for a uh, the B-Books. Um, Dan, I got to apologize from the onset. Um, I'm, I'm, my subscription box is mixing a couple of books from, from this uh, recent run of issues. So, uh, you know... It's not because I'm not reading, folks. It's just I, 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 I don't. I probably don't have a couple of them, so uh, we'll, we're gonna have to make it work without it. Okay. Yeah, I'll just talk about them briefly. All right, cool. So why don't we start with uh, Radioactive Spider Gwen number eight? Dan, you go first, and you can start in three, two, one. Yeah, Mark. Well, I didn't fall in love with this issue, and and I think it is driven a bit too heavily by the actions of Silk. But uh, I do think this issue continues doing what I love about the Spider-Woman series, which is uh, that despite being a crossover event, each story in the series, I feel, has found a way to progress each character's series in a way that doesn't feel arbitrary, as often is in events. Here we find the history of the Spider-Bite that turned Gwen into Spider-Woman just to see it all undone. It felt significant and exciting instead of just filler. And I, I thought the visuals here were okay, a bit confusing, and I didn't love the design of Evil Silk. But overall, I call this one a yee-haw! Buckaroo? Buckaroo. <laughs> All right, Mark, Sounds... let, let me count you in in three, two, one. Yeah, Dan, for me, this series continues to suffer from being caught up in the Spider-Woman crossover. And, and the retcon, if you call it such, when you're dealing with characters this new... Uh, involving Gwen and S-I-L-K uh, was a bit of a groaner for me. I mean, when it comes to this title in Silk, I'm about to go into conspiracy theory mode, Dan. I apologize. There seems to be a petty rivalry that's developed where Marvel is insistent on reminding its audience that Silk was the female spider character originally earmarked for a big push, and the more organic love and affection that Gwen received was unexpected and thereby harder to manage. I realize I sound like a paranoid fanboy. I own it. Uh, but, uh, issues like this one only kind of confirm it for me and turn me off to spider Gwen because it feels like they just want to make silk the star. So for me, cow poke in the eye, that's a bad review. <laughs> I like that you just spell that out. All right. Cow poke in the eye. I can adopt that. <laughs> okay, Dan. So web warriors number seven is next. So go in three, two, one. David Baldion and his artwork remain the draw to the series for me. Few comics pack in this much fun, detail, and zany designs. However, I have to admit that I'm becoming a bit exhausted by all the bombast in this series, even though that's fun when it's artistic. Each issue's letter page is now advertising additional characters being added to the cast, right when I thought that this series, like the last issue, was going to be doubling down on the cast that already has to deliver some richer characterizations. And I really kind of wanted that so that I could understand who these people are. Maybe it's on the way out the door, and that's why, but this one for me is a, here we go, cowpoke in the eye. Yeah, you definitely adapted, adopted that one pretty quickly. All right, count me in, Dan. All right, three, two, 
one. I think it's going to be one of these episodes, Dan, because I probably shouldn't like this series as much as I do because it relies very heavily on these random moments, cameos, debuts, etc. But still, if you're going to embrace a multiversal story story involving multiple iterations of spider people, I guess this is the way I want to see it get done. I actually have very little interest in the villains or the larger drama of the web of life itself, but Web Warriors keeps delivering little moments between characters that are satisfying, like watching Arya with Uncle Ben or a 2099 version of Spider-Ham. These are the kinds of things I actually look forward to in this series. Sure, I would love a more coherent, streamlined story and, and, and deeper characterization, learning more about these people, but I guess the series is just going to keep flying by the seat of its pants until Marvel gives up on it in a few months. So I'm going to say yeehaw! Yee-haw! All right, let's talk about Silk number eight, the latest, uh, I guess, iteration in Spider Women. So, uh, Mark, why don't you count me in? Three, two, one. Yeah, I like what this issue is trying to do in concept, bringing the teased Silk Goes Bad story full circle by a means outside of her control. But in order to do so, there are like a million character decisions made in this comic, specifically by Mockingbird, that strain credulity, and I feel like the writer is just checking plot beats off of a list. It's a shame because this issue sets up a very organic way for that to happen and then doesn't really like follow up on that. And additionally, uh, I feel like this issue feels like the first issue of Spider-Women that brings that plot to a near halt with very few details that actually progress that overarching plot. So for this one, this one's a cow poke in the eye. (laughs) All right, Dan. Am I going to agree with you or not? I feel like the way this is going, it's going to be a not agreement. But uh, let's find out in three, (laughs) two, one. Yeah, it still seems like Spider-Woman is at its very best when it focuses either on its titular character in Silk or when Dennis Hopeless just gets to do Jessica Drew-type stuff with Jessica Drew. Uh, In Silk number 8, there still seems to be a circuitous quality to the overall narrative that's a little frustrating. Uh, But giving us an arc where Silk has to rebuild her reputation or even fail in rebuilding her reputation at least puts a new spin on the character and can lead to some pretty interesting storytelling possibilities. So... I'm enjoying the ride for now, and yeah, I'm saying yeehaw. This might be your first positive yeehaw towards a Silk story in quite a while. Um, I think I like the last. I, I I actually, like I said, I don't mind this crossover in context of Silk. It's it's. I feel how this crossover is impacting Spider Gwen is costing me my enjoyment of Spider Gwen right now. I think that's where I go south on it. Well, I'll be interested to see what you think about Spider-Woman, the next Spider-Woman, because it's very Silk or uh, Gwen-heavy when you do get a chance to read it. Yeah, hopefully I'll um, get it in my comic book box because <laughs> that's my, one of my favorite series right now. Um, but we're going to now talk about Spider-Man number four starring one of your favorite characters, Miles Morales, and one of you... Well, I I guess I can't call Bendis your favorite writers, but you certainly seem to like him more than I do. No, that's for certain. Uh, So uh, let's talk about Spider-Man number four. Are you going to count me in here? I will in three, two, one. Yeah, for me, Mark, this series captures all the items that I thought were missing from, I guess, story elements that were missing from the original Miles series, specifically his life outside of his superheroics. I enjoy all of Bendis' writing as Miles and Genki first meet Goldballs, who 
I didn't really care about prior to this issue. I thought it was this interaction was funny, character driven, and ultimately dramatic uh, between the two characters. That said, this series is totally without focus still when compared to the original Ultimate Spider-Man series, which maybe is an unfair comparison. But in that book, each chapter had a specific villain that allowed us to see how Peter would juggle and manage all elements of his life. Here, I still have no sense how Miles' life fits together, and I just don't care about Black Cat and her cronies. Not to mention I didn't know how Miles fits into this world. But still, I had fun, so I'm giving it a yee-haw. Yee-haw! Little buddy. All right. Buckaroo Bonsai. Buckaroo. Man, Lonesome Lonesome is I think he's he's gonna take over for Swarm, man. I don't know, we'll see. <laughs> Buzzworthy worthy was a pretty good one. So uh, you know, I don't I don't know if you can top that. But uh all right, three, two, one. Well not to repeat myself from last issue, but the series just isn't scratching that issue me, Dan. I feel like dropping Miles into the regular Marvel universe and just pretending like nothing is really wrong or unnatural about it is the wrong approach for Marvel to be taking. The character is fast losing his luster in terms of what makes him unique and, oddly enough, seems to be more defined by the fact that he's black and Latino than the fact that he's Miles Morales, the hero who took over for the deceased Spider-Man in the Ultimate Universe. I certainly have no interest in watching Miles vs. Black Cat or anything with Black Cat right now. I think at this point, I don't know what I really want with Miles, but I know that this series isn't doing it for me. So I'm saying cowpoke in the eye. It's amazing to me how much Marvel has doubled down on this Black Cat thing. She's in Silk. She's in Amazing. She's in Miles. It's like, guess what? If you don't really like Black Cat, you can't avoid her. She's literally everywhere. Yeah, well... It's the, I guess the, the, the tentacles of Nick Lowe to be found. I don't know. <laughs> Do we think she'll show up in Civil War Two as a major player? Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> well, that 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 certainly, from my perspective, wouldn't hurt the series anymore. But uh, <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> All right. So yeah, count me in for Civil War Two number zero, the the Num- prelude issue. Yes, the prologue or whatever you want to call it. Uh, yes, Dan, go in three, two, one. From the beautiful art to the emphasis on character, uh, Civil War Two number zero. I can't believe I'm saying that. Did everything that I want from a prelude comic for a big event, and actually has me more excited for what appears to be a transparent cash in comic series. But uh, I, I, I'm surprised to say I'm excited about it. Uh, the verdict obviously is still out on how good this series will ultimately be, especially since Bendis' previous events, which I, I am loathe to mention, uh, have mostly been groan-worthy. But uh, for me, this is a great first look into a brewing conflict with two clearly delineated sides with real philosophical differences setting them apart. Exactly the thing that, Mark, you and I criticized about the original Civil War of skipping over. So I'm curious what's going to spark this fire, but color me excited for it for now. So, yeehaw! Man, Dan, we're about to set a first here. I think this is... <laughs> I don't know if we agree on anything. Uh, we're completely <laughs> disagreeing on every issue. So uh, let me count you in in three, two, one. Yes, it's the first chapter of Marvel's latest event, and I can't say this piques my interest much at all. 
Sure, it's filled with moral dilemma and complexities that seem to define the original series. But like the original series, I don't know if the premise being set up is strong enough to justify heroes turning on each other and inevitably acting out of character in an effort to service the story. At the heart of the event, it appears, is yet another attempt for Marvel to push the Inhumans as something other than a very minor imprint on the history of the company. Plus, I really can't recall the last Bennett event that moved the needle for me. I guess I'll have to trudge through the series for the sake of the show, Dan, but I can't say I'm looking forward to it. Cowpoke in the eye. Oh, boy. Were you going to pick this up either way or, or no? Well, am I going to continue to pick it up? Yeah, no, I will. I will. But, like, I, you know, just the whole premise of it, it does not excite me. But I don't want to be that guy. I, 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 I'm not terribly, like, excited, per se, but, like, I feel like this one could surprise me. It could sneak up on me and be somewhat decent. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, yeah. So I read Spider-Woman 7. I'm not going to say much about it except that it's a Spider-Woman issue, and I think everybody knows how I feel about that. Uh, and this is just another one of those. It's excellent, and... One of my favorite parts of this Spider-Women crossover has a great moment for both Jess and Spider-Gwen, so go pick it up. Like, if you're not picking up Spider-Woman, I don't know what more I can say to you. Just go pick it up. Mark, thoughts? Um, I wish I read it, but I agree. <laughs> read this book, and I'm going to harass my comic book store about why they didn't put it in my box last week. And, uh, Mark, I don't know if you had a chance to check these out, but um, I read both of the free comic book day um, issues, the Captain America one and the Civil War II one. Um, you know, Captain America doesn't seem to be in our purview, but actually it's got a, it's got a backup story for uh, uh, Dead No More. Did you get a chance to check these out? I, I, can, I can't find them anywhere, Dan. My, uh, I couldn't get out there the day of free comic book day. My LCS didn't have any other copies after the fact. So um, were they good? Yeah, I, I actually liked both of them quite a bit. I think, you know, like the, it's a short backup story in Captain America, but it teases, you know, Dead No More in the ways that we all expect. But we, it's the first time we get to see the man in red in his weird, like, Anubis helmet, which only further... I guess solidifies my theory that it's the jackal. Um, right. but, but there's a cool fight with the rhino in San, San Francisco, and the artwork really beautifully renders San Francisco. And I thought, you know, the writing was actually really decent. And for, you know, for a teaser, I, I had a good time with it. Um, it's really inside baseball. Like, I don't know who would read this that's not already reading Spider Man that would go, I got to check out Spider Man now because it's like, uh, truly, really deep, like deep nods to Spider-Man's rogue, rogues gallery, and 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 his and his status, I guess. Right, um, right. Which is funny because the Captain America story before it was like the most generic Captain America story I've ever read. I stand um, for freedom, Bucky. <laughs> yeah, it was like it was just boring, and I was like, well, no one's gonna want to pick this up because it's just so boring. Um, but I don't know. And then the Civil War II thing was weird because it like is a story, a teaser story from what seems to be the middle of the Civil War II story. Um, so it's like not even like a, a, a like a tease of it. It's like, hey, this is actually part of this book. Um, so I didn't know what to make of that, but I enjoyed it nevertheless. Thanos makes an appearance and they all get to fight Thanos. And I love a good Thanos th fight more than the next guy. Not only Spider-Man oriented, but, you know, 
Civil War II is going to be a big event, so I thought I'd bring it up. But, uh, you know, they're free issues, so you can't really go wrong uh, uh, right. unless you have to pay for them like you might have to. Uh, I'm, I'm sure they'll come on Marvel Unlimited eventually, and you can read it there. So are you trying to tell me, like, by not having that Captain America issue, my Spidey collection is incomplete? I, I, I might say that. Uh, okay, I mean, okay. Just, 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 I just want to make you say it. Um, Mark, I, I think I think you uh, got on me about me not owning a free comic book day issue for the swing shift issue, even though I own the director's cut of it. I think that. Well, that's no, I don't. I don't. Know, I don't own either of it. I don't. I. I. I you know, like, I, I, free comic book day doesn't count. Come all on. right. All right. But, but what about the Amazing Spider-Man free comic book day where he fought uh, Spider Woman under control? Uh, I think I have that one, so we can count it. All right, I see how these rules work. It's yeah, it's completely exactly. completely what you own is what counts. Exactly. All right, all right. I'm yeah. glad I'm glad you finally figured out that the name of this game is I Win. Okay. So. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, well, you know what? I guess the name of the game is the end of the show now because we're, okay. we're come to the end of things. Um, and this is me rapidly changing topic because I hate to admit that you are the winner of any said competition. But uh, we're taking it home, Mark. Well, of course, everybody, uh, if you enjoyed our show, you can find all of our new Amazing Spider Talk and old, quite old now, Superior Spider Talk podcast at superiorspidertalk.com. Or find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play by searching Amazing Spider Talk. And if you do, please be sure to leave us a rating and a comment to let us know how we're doing and we'll read it on the air. We're almost at 100 comments, so you know, help us get there. But we've almost been at 100 comments for like a, a year now, so yeah, what are yeah. you going to do? But uh, also, if you have any opinions on the comics that we talked about today, Amazing Spider-Man 17 to 19, or any questions, please be sure to email them to us at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com or call 9RedGoblin, our awesome uh, voice line, uh, uh, to, to reach us. And you can also tweet at us with OK to print, and we'll address and read those questions on the air as well. There's a lot of ways to get in touch with us, Mark. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, be sure to check out both of our Facebook pages and subscribe to our sister podcast, The Ultimate Spin, which keeps up with the adventures of Spider-Gwen and Miles Morales. And also, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up our friendly neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club, the most long-winded club name on the internet. Uh, it's how we support our show. If you listen to our show and you enjoy it, we need your help to keep this thing going. You know, Mark and I spent a lot of money to keep this thing on the air. Um, but, uh, you know, if you help us, we give you awesome rewards. Last week, we recorded another members-only podcast for all of our patrons to enjoy. Mark, what did we talk about on that show? Yeah, well, as a, a companion piece to our review of the Civil War movie uh, by, from Marvel, um, we, we talked about the one of the end credit scenes uh, that involved uh, Tom Holland's Spider-Man and the spider signal. Uh, so you want to hear us chit-chat about uh, super great teasers in Marvel movies? Please check out our Patreon awesome. account. Well Awesome. Well, uh, where can people find you on the internet this week, Mark? I know last um, week you teased that you would have writing on the site uh, by the time of the podcast, and it didn't happen. So are we <laughs> going to be graced with some writing this week? 
Well, you're going to get a carnage review. You, you, you will probably, by the time people hear this episode, there will probably be a carnage review up on the site. And, and yes, we're going to, we're going to have some new content coming out very, very soon. A new feature that I'm working on. Uh, I won't announce it just yet because I want to make sure I, I, I have my, my list down pat before I debut it. Um, but it's yes, it's not another find- one of those listicles, Mark. Oh, it's a total listicle, and it's going to be like one of those, like, you know, protracted, you know, over the span of five or six weeks, maybe a post here, a post there, just to keep you guessing, people. (laughs) All right. Well, I know what it is, and I'm looking forward to it, so I think our audience is going to like it, too. Uh, And, Dan, where can we find your – oh, and, of course, find me at Chasing ASM Blog on Twitter. Shouldn't be remiss in not mentioning that. And, Dan, what about you? Well, the same goes for me. You can find my writing on superiorspidertalk.com, and you can find me on Twitter at, at SupSpiderTalk. So, Mark, um, you know, I, I heard that when you were young, you started your very own Spider-Man fan club, but uh, you could never quite get the attendance that you wanted. People just didn't think this was a good idea. Uh, you know, what happened there, man? Did, did you still keeping it going today, or, or did you have to kind of end it uh, prematurely? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, the Spider-Man fan club never really took off for me. Um, you know, the, the the big problem was uh, at our very, very first club meeting, there there was some tragedy, a uh, very sad tragedy. Um, my um, my Uncle Ben was a huge Spider-Man fan, thought he was just the, the greatest guy who, who embodied uh, great podcasts and, and great responsibility and, you know, like just the whole, the whole spiel, you know, you know, Uncle Ben stuff. Yeah, yeah, know. that makes sense to me, yeah. You know, well, we were at the fan club meeting and uh, this, this kind of like curmudgeonly teenage friend of mine and no one really liked he was kind of an outcast he just like showed up with this chip on his shoulder and was like you know like making fun of me making fun of uncle ben um you know it was kind of like what's up with this guy um but then like during the the fan club meeting um the some guy dressed as the green goblin came in uh, and, um, all of a sudden somebody dressed as Spider-Man came in and like, they like put on this, this fight. We're like, Oh, this is great. This is great. And then all of a sudden that, that crappy teenager showed up again and Spider-Man disappeared. And I was like, what's this all about? And before you know it, a big giant rubber spider fell on uncle Ben's head and crushed it and killed him. And this is the first meeting of the Spider-Man members club. And, um, you know, as he was breathing his last breath, he turned to that. First, he turned to me, and then he was like, "Wait, no, get that crappy teenager over here who like always has a chip on his shoulder and thinks he's better than everyone else." And was like, "Hey, you, Peter, with great podcasts, must also come Amazing Spider Talk." <laughs> <laughs>